This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What's going on, everyone? Hope you're having a great day so far. This is the first installment of a series I've been wanting to do for a long time, and I'm very excited to get started on it. Uh, we're going to call this series Thank the Maker, or we're going to call it um, The Lucas Files. I don't really know which one for sure yet, but we're going to go over all six, and I, I know I'm holding the prequels, all six um, of the DVD specials, so the bonus discs inside. So if we look, I'll show you, here's the episode three, for example, we got the movie, and then if we flip over, we get this bonus disc. This bonus disc is something that George Lucas had put in, um, which goes over so many things that I find really interesting with the actors, with the people behind the scenes, concept artists, and George Lucas, most of all himself, and Rick McCollum, which is pretty cool. So we're going to start off with episode two today. I don't know how I'm going to structure these videos. We might do an hour. Some of them might be 10 minutes. Some of them might be half an hour. It depends how long each segment and episode is. Um, it really depends on my mood. Like if I want to keep going, we'll keep going. If I want to chop it up, make it more uh, um, time efficient for you guys, we'll do that. But I want you to sit back, relax. This series is probably going to be well over... 50 to 100 videos over the course of its time once we do episodes one through six and uh, I think it's going to be really interesting it's not a video where you know we just info like right away quickly we're going to sit we're going to chill we're going to relax and uh, it's just going to be like you and me watching this and uh, having fun with it so I hope you're coming along for the ride I definitely am. I'm very excited for this. We're starting on episode two today because my episode one, um, it's messed up. So the, the bonus disc inside is actually um, a little bit corrupt. Um, can't play some things, which I wanted to. I wanted to start on episode one, but oh, well, episode two it is. Still some exciting stuff in here. So I ordered a new one for episode one, and that should be in probably the next, uh, I don't know, week or so, a few days. But in that time, let's cover episode two. So let's begin. There are many different places where we can go in this, okay? We can do theatrical trailers, and th this is kind of, I'm giving you a rundown, so by the time we get to episode um, one, episode three, and then four, five, six, you'll kind of know the structure. So this video might be a little more long because it's a bit, you know, we're kind of training you guys like what we're going to be doing. So we can do theatrical trailers and TV spots. We could do documentaries, deleted scenes, featurettes, web documentaries, Dex's Kitchen and Still Gallery. So they always have these this structure is pretty much the same throughout all of them, at least for the prequels. Um, I don't know what it is for the originals because I haven't had the new ones, uh, which have the bonus footage. So I had to actually order those because I thought I had them, but I was looking at something totally different that I had from the special editions or whatever it was. So I'm pretty excited, it, it, stoked for that. So I think we should go on web documentaries because I think those web documentaries are featurettes. And then, of course, we'll do deleted scenes and all that. Um, let's do web documentaries first, if that's the right one. I'm not quite sure. I think it is. There's like a 12-part series. Yeah, okay. So we got 12 parts here. If we go to the next page. Yeah, there we go. So this is the one. All right. Let's start it right from the top. 
Number one. Let's roll. In order to get anything to happen, you have to take a certain amount of risk, and you have to sort of go into there an area where you're not sure you're going to be able to pull it off. George is always known as an innovator. Uh, here we go again. He's doing something new. He's doing something different. It's, it's, a, it's, a, risk, it's a risky idea. The quality of an image that's captured on a digital camera does not stand up against the same image that would be captured on a piece of motion picture film. When you're shooting a film, it's like doing beautiful art, you know, traditional art. Uh, video today is still modern art, not even good modern art yet. There is a lot of controversy about the fact that we're shooting this digitally. As far as I'm concerned, they should have been shooting digital cinema 20 years ago. People say, why am I doing it? Is it you know, the real question is, why not? Well, the very first time that George ever discussed his concept of a digital future for, uh, for the cinema and television was in 1989. And I'm even amazed now how precise that vision actually was about what he wanted to achieve. First of all, there was a series, Young Indiana Jones. He wanted to make that a test bed for digital effects. On the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which was shot in 16mm, by the way, George was already tampering with digital editions digital extensions and replication. That series was really the test of digital technology. I'm gonna pause. So apparently, uh, and let me know in the comments because this can always like, be a test run. If you want me to talk afterwards and let it run through or you want to pause it, but I think commentary is important here. So the Young Indiana Jones show apparently uh, ran for I think two seasons. The first season, or a few seasons. The first season did well or something. or But the second one, it tanked. And I think it was with ABC at the time. And um, Bob Iger was in charge of that. So what happened was, apparently, and this was in Bob Iger's book, regard, or, yeah, it was in Bob Iger's book, regarding the young Indiana, Indiana Jones show, they weren't going to do it again. But Bob pushed for it, even though the ratings tanked and they weren't really doing well anymore, because George asked him to. So he did George a favor, and of course, when it came time to selling Lucasfilm, George remembered that, and he's like, you know what? He really helped me out. He came in clutch, and uh, that, so that's, that's at least what was written in the book. So um, you can kind of see like how like t 20 years later, something like that would be remembered. And of course, he had a, a relationship with him, I, I assume. So. In a feature film called Radio Land Murders. He was curious to see if it was possible to do the same thing on 35mm and project it onto a big screen. No one had a problem in terms of the effects. In fact, they're imperceptible. Even though the film wasn't successful, that part of the process was incredibly successful for us. So George had the confidence to use that same technology in The Phantom Menace. Stand Let's go. And then we've gone one stage further in episode two, actually shooting on digital. For the kind of films that George makes, the kind of films that we make, we are ostensibly in the digital arena from the first day that we actually start working. Uh, most people fail to realize this, but basically what happens is every single frame, every single shot in the movie has a digital effect. Pretty much every set has blue screen, even if it's just out a window or something. It's everywhere. <laughs> Uh, I think I've been on one set where there hasn't been any blue screen. So for us to shoot and film and then scan it into a computer is a ridiculous process. 
Right now, we can shoot on high def, and 50 minutes after we shoot a 50-minute cassette, it's inside the computer. Well, yes, this is uh, the day shooting. There's no more laboratory. It's now on tape. Uh, sound and picture on the same recording device. Sunk automatically for us to uh, put in on the computers. It's all on this one thing. What's the What's the Look how much technology has changed, man. We wanted to shoot the last film this way and uh, had been working with Sony for several years to try to make it happen um, and just couldn't get the cameras built fast enough. There were certain inherent basic issues. Video is shot at 30 frames per second, film is shot at 24 frames per second, and that was a major holdback for us. The biggest difference with these cameras is that they were developed to provide a 24 frame per second frame rate, which is exactly the, the rate that we've been using for production photography and film. So it means that when they scan it onto film, you have one video frame to every film frame. The next big problem that we had was, of course, not just the camera, but the lenses. The lenses that come with the camera were not acceptable to acquire this widescreen format that we shoot. So the only place I could go to then was Panavision. Yeah, the computer design lenses, um, focusing on a very small target. The actual chips that are in the camera are smaller than a 35 millimeter film image. That meant the performance of the lens actually had to be better than a 35 millimeter lens since you were using a, a smaller area to image the entire high resolution frame on. The depth of field, the clarity, the sharpness of the image, the brightness uh, was something that still just knocked us off our feet. There's never any doubt about whether or not you, you can see something in the background or you will see something in the background. It's exactly how it's going to be on the big screen. The cameraman, uh, the prop department, wardrobe, hair, myself, everybody gets to see the dailies, everybody gets to see if anything's wrong, and they get to fix it by the next take, whereas normally you wait until the next day and then you have to go back and reshoot it. The mobility of the film camera is still better than digital. Well, I could move the Nariflex, move all of the work, go all over the mountains with any temperature and shoot. We spent years in the uh, film industry trying to get the camera free. Now suddenly we're tied to cables again. On this show we, uh, we've got to plug seven cables into the camera. An HD, a time code, a gen lock, two audios and data. The camera, to be honest, does feel a bit cumbersome. It's pretty long, it's unwieldy, but already, you know, even since we started, they've made a new, new zoom lens. It's half the size, half the weight, and next year the camera's going to be half the size. I am sure it will improve. Now the camera's as big. It's, it's, digital is work in progress. Breathing down the neck of the, uh, of the film camera. It doesn't mean that technology is going to make the film any better. That has nothing to do with art. Technology is used to tell a story and that's the whole point. It's really the, the, the filmmaker and the storyteller and how well they're able to tell the story that counts in the end. The, the techniques they use are really a, a byproduct of that. Thanks folks, first up in the morning, the other pot will come in, we'll take the gray pot out tonight. Jeds. And we'll start with scene five. Can we get the charge So that's a wrap. That's cool, that's part one. And then now you can see how far they've come with the technology with the Mando, right? And now it's all encompassing all of the actors and they can change it in real time. I mean, that's the coolest part. I'm a visual filmmaker as opposed to a literary filmmaker. So it, the movie doesn't rest in the dialogue. It rests in the visuals. 
in episode one, we had established a very Art Nouveau, very fluid form. And episode four had a very sort of very um, industrial engineered angular shape. And so now we're kind of bridging that gap. So we're mixing a little bit of yeah, both. Shooting back Ultimately, the overriding factor on Obi-Wan's ship and all of the Jedi ship is that I wanted them to be reminiscent of the design of the Star Destroyers and the Imperial ships. Because ultimately, that's where those ships grew out of. I think we can begin to introduce the, the wedge shippy. When he saw the design, started to incorporate um, his new um, storyline to it. And so the whole idea of taking that shape and turning it into a Jedi fighter evolved with the design process. Maybe take some World War I battleships, German, cut them off about halfway through, you know, take them top and bottom and <laughs> wedge him out a little bit. Okay. And then it's my job and the rest of the artists to come up with the background for that design and make it make sense so that no one questions the design when they see the film. We're so familiar with um, that triangular shape as being the symbol or the icon for the Empire that to take that and actually uh, give it a new personality, a new identity, which is the, the spaceship in the shape for the Jedi Starfleet was actually a really brilliant move and it actually made the whole symbolism very powerful because you can slowly see how everything slowly starts turning towards the dark side. And even this could have a little bit of a... George has the designs in his mind, and, and he sort of is the master editor of all of this. For every design that I use in the movie, there's at least 10 or 15 designs that get re rejected. That hair's going to be dry in a second, I think mate. that's a big no, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> None of it feels great to do. It always feels good to see, you know? Sort of come down as he starts to climb into it. Yeah, yeah. Obi-Wan Spider actually evolved out of about a dozen sketches. My feeling is that these are like Jedi here. The only um, designs that are turned into a model are the ones that George finally gives the, his stamp of approval that this is the design. We'll do a real quick mock-up, whether it's a small little prototype or a little foam core study model. It's to carry the design to the next stage so George can actually pick it up and hold it and look at it. And from there, he'll usually have more suggestions to improve the design. Man, he's the so hands-on. Reducing it down to be a fighter, to be a really, you know, instead of being this huge, gigantic monster ship, be a little tiny, tiny ship. And I think one of the biggest issues was scale. How big do we make it or how small do we make it? Too small. <laughs> George will typically pick up a pencil or a pen and go and add his modifications to the designs or say, let's take you know, the cockpit of this drawing here and put it onto here. When I initially designed the ship into a single fighter, uh, there was really not any logical place to put a R2 unit. So this is the little R2 unit. He okay. actually can fit in there with a little bit of cheating. Okay. Uh, but he can't get in from the bottom, so is it okay if he drops him from yeah, the top? Drop him from the top. And will we see him do that or no? Okay, he'll just be there. There's a detail. Can you make his head go around so fast that it spins off? R4 is really an R2 painted red, isn't it? Careful what you're saying about R4 because you can get bopped on the head real quick. <laughs> Actually, we could have got the angle just right. In, it? I've always wanted to have my own ship, and he gets one, and he gets to take off in it on his own adventure in this one, which is cool. In action. I mean, you're sitting in a, in a wooden ship being rocked around by guys, in the, and so um, to see it, I, I'm sure, because I haven't seen it yet, will be extraordinary. Cut. OK, that was good. Cut. I loved it. That was beautiful. That was magnificent. I want more. I want more. What you do is you go where the story takes you. I mean, you really sort of, sometimes you have to be on location because it just demands it. 
when I did Star Wars, I had to come up with environments getting closer and closer to where we have to shoot less and less on location. When we were doing episode two, we were going to Italy for less than a week. We were going to Spain for less than a week, Tunisia just over a week, England just over a week. It becomes a really interesting challenge in terms of the movement of people, the feeding of them, uh, making sure that they're taken care of. You're arriving to Trevajare. Ah! Ciao ragazzi. Most filmmakers would rather be able to focus on the work at hand and not have to deal with how do you get there and what the elements are like when you're there. It's 10 o'clock and I just want to shoot and get started. I don't like getting my first shot off this late. No. George getting mad. I was scouting locations uh, as I was on my vacation and I knew I had a scene that took place in some villa someplace Lake in Como. a beautiful part of the countryside that was extremely romantic. I had the exact location, but I didn't have the exact scene. <laughs> I saw a picture of Lake Como, one of the locations in Italy. It's just almost surrealistic. It looks like it belongs in Star Wars. Before this, I've never been outside of North America, so it's, it's my way of seeing the world a little bit right now, too. I think the thing I enjoy about the locations in general is, is just the feeling that you're not in control. You know, that anything can happen. The case with the rain is you look at George, he looks at you. We're in a digital environment. You have such control over every single frame. We looked at each other and said, hey. It's God's way of describing the scene. It could be worse. It could be snowing. Tomorrow we go to Tunisia. I know a few of the actors would rather not be out here. <laughs> it hasn't changed too much. It's our little funky set. All the little set pieces have been rebuilt, but uh, these are the original uh, little you know, earthen craters that uh, were there before. It's going back to the homestead, obviously, it's like going back to where you grew up. You know, it's a little weird, it's a little nostalgic, and, you know, it's, it's, there's a certain amount of emotion that goes with uh, being back at a place you were, you know, 25 years before. Beautiful. I'm getting spine tingles. I bet. You know, the most telling moment this morning was when I saw one of the moisture evaporators. Reunion. The evaporators kept falling over in the middle of a take, which was kind of embarrassing. Then in the middle of a take, you know, bits of my costume would fall off. The jar was would start crying. All right, let's try one more a little bit faster. Almost any location I've shot on, I've been able to get material that I just couldn't get uh, in a studio or uh, it would take a very long time to recreate digitally. The more real things you can get in your image, the more believable those images are, and you just have to sort of tweak them for, sort of on set or in post-production. All the environments uh, that we're shooting, uh, I've always intended to digitally change so they don't look quite as they are in real life. Technologically, we're in areas that most people won't get to for another three or four or five years, and we're always on the bleeding edge of it. With digital technology the way it is, we can recreate uh, a lot of the vastness and the big parts of the location uh, digitally. And action. 
So George, why are you shooting a shot for episode three? I can't tell you that. <laughs> you have to wait six years for that answer. Oh six years. How much stuff are you doing for episode three now? Just this one shot. Because oh. it means that now I don't have to come back here. So it's a long way to come and bring a crew of 60 people just to shoot one shot and then rebuild the set and all the other stuff we have to do in three years. What happens if you decide you want another shot? I don't get it. You know what shot that is, right? When Obi-Wan delivers Luke. always knew what he was doing let's rewatch one more no let's let's leave it right there it's of course going to be the first introduction introduction to this whole series so i want to leave you guys wanting more as much as i want to watch more which i'm probably going to watch more right now and then i'm going to cut it up and then i'm going to release it at a later time um so let's do four episodes per video of this and then we'll jump to something else like uh documentaries or something right and then we'll finish episode two then we'll go to episode one then we'll go to revenge of the sith episode three then we'll do four five six and um it's gonna be cool it's gonna be it's gonna be good and this time i'm gonna be uploading lots of lore stuff as well so it's not just gonna be all this actually as much as i would like for it to be all this because i think this is the most interesting and it's the most real um I'll mix it up for you guys. And some of them might even be a live stream. I don't know yet. We'll see how I feel. Let's say I haven't like edited one or something like that. I'll just do like a live stream or something. But what I want you to take out of this is to get to know George as a person more so because this is really him and his element. And this is as close as we can get, you know, us, us mortals, as close as we can get to knowing him. Um, which, man, I, I wish I could one day just like see him from afar or something and like that would be so cool but they say never meet your heroes so i mean hey um but you can really see how far technology has come and of course these web documentaries cover a lot of technology but as we go through them you'll see a lot of them uh will cover a lot more the actors the inside of the, the lore of the whole story and everything how george was writing things and it gets so much more interesting Whereas you can see, number four is going to start on... Is that right? Are we on number four now? Trying. Th this is now going to be covering Anakin Skywalker, which is going to be the next one, I think. Right? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I'm going to leave it off in a good place. So I hope you enjoyed this. Leave a thumbs up if you want more. Honestly, I'm going to do more anyways, but it helps the algorithm. Thank you so much. And... I'm fired up. I'm really excited. I'm really, really passionate to continue this series. I'm really, really enjoying this. Um, it brings me back to being a little kid again, and I haven't watched this since I was a little kid because I kind of forgot about them. Um, and it's sad that we, we don't get these anymore. You know, they're not in the the, the DVDs that are out there today for, for, for the prequels, uh, which is unfortunate. I had to hunt um, the originals down. I had to hunt them down on Amazon. So, um, and they're overpriced the a new hope one alone cost me over 200 bucks just for, just for that one and i hope to god it works i hope to god it's not like defective or something like this um like this uh phantom menace one because i thought i had that one but i actually had the german one <laughs> so it was all in german uh you can see it actually i'll show you the case 
probably have never seen it before. There you go. It's like all dusty and everything. What does it say? Die Dunkel Bedrohung. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I'm excited, dude. It's going to be a great series. Uh, a lot of laughs will be shared. A lot of things will be learned uh, between all of us. And um, I can't wait for George and his team to explain everything and show us so much more inside the beautiful story that is Star Wars that has brought us all here. Love you all. And I'll see you in the next one. May the Force be with you.